The Old Testament lesson for this, the fifth Sunday in Lent, is taken from the book of Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. And in this, in this reading, Jeremiah prophesies of a new covenant, a covenant in which God will forgive our sins and remember our sins no more. We read from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the epistle lesson is from the letter to the Hebrews, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only one called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. This text will also serve as the basis for the sermon this morning. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, Jesus began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, 
one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Today our Christian confession is taken from Luther's small catechism, the sacrament of holy baptism. So what is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. And which is that word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. And which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You may be seated. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the gospel lesson that I read to you a few moments ago where Jesus, our Messiah, the Lord of all, says these words. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is our text. In the name of Jesus, who is the servant of all servants, who is the greatest American? That was the question that was posed to Americans back in 2005 during a four-part American television series hosted by Matt Lauer on Discovery Channel. Surprisingly, there hasn't been a similar survey done in the last 15 or 16 years. But in that survey, the question was asked, name the American you believe who has most influenced the way that you think, work, and live. It's really quite a generic question with little criteria. But 2.4 million respondents voted on that question. 
And so in 2005, who do you think was the number one listed American? It was Ronald Reagan. Now, Ronald Reagan had died just the year before. There are a lot of tributes to Ronald Reagan, and so no, no doubt Ronald Reagan was on the minds and hearts of many people when that survey was taken. Number two was Abraham Lincoln. Number three, Martin Luther King Jr. Number four, George Washington. And number five, Benjamin Franklin. Now I could go on as they listed the top 100, but we'll just stick with five. We could debate the merits of this poll, and certainly there might be changes to who are the top five or the top 10 or the top 25. In Canada, there was a similar poll done the year before, 2004, and the question was, who is the greatest Canadian? Now, I'm not going to tell you who that was, although I can say that it was... Well, he was a politician, I guess, but I will tell you, it was, it was uh, Tommy Douglas. Tommy Douglas was the, the man in Canada who is known as the father of Medicare. So in other words, the one who brought into Canada socialized medicine. But what I found very intriguing about the Canadian survey was that not only did they ask who is the greatest Canadian, but they also asked the question, what characteristic do you think is the most important in defining greatness in Canada? What characteristic defines greatness? Now, I guess, I would guess that some of these traits that I'm going to mention in just a minute would probably be shared by many Americans as well. When you try to define who is the great American, what were the traits listed? Well, 39% of respondents said that legacy is what defines someone to be great. 31% said passion defines greatness. 23% said leadership. 5% said genius. And 3% said humor. Now, would any of these five traits define American greatness? from your perspective. I mean, I personally found that some of these traits were a little strange, and they wouldn't even made my top five on the list of what defines greatness. But it does make us ponder what fundamental characteristic defines greatness. Is it really legacy? Is it passion? Is it leadership? Is it genius? Is it humor? Well, I think Jesus answers the question directly in the gospel lesson for today. When he says to his disciples, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Having the attitude and the behavior of a servant is what defines greatness in the eyes of our God. Now, servanthood is not normally the first characteristic a person thinks of when defining greatness. The trait of servanthood or humility certainly wasn't on the minds of James and John when they approached Jesus. The reading begins with James and John coming to Jesus and asking quite a bold question. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
To which Jesus replies, well, what do you want me to do for you? And then the reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's pretty bold and brash, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's pretty self-serving too. And what's surprising about the request is that just one chapter earlier in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples had been bickering about who was the greatest. And Jesus had to kind of sit them down and say, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And now just a short time later, here you've got James and John trying to manipulate Jesus so that they can have the position of greatness, of power and prestige. And when the other disciples hear of this, hear of their tactics, well, they become indignant. Why? Because they wanted that position of greatness in Jesus' time of glory. Now, what's even maybe more surprising is that even after these two episodes, James and John and the other disciples still don't understand that greatness in Christ's kingdom is characterized by servanthood. For we read in John 13 of how it is that they were in the upper room and someone needed to wash their feet. And none of them wanted to take that servant's role of washing the feet of other people. And so, who washes the feet of the disciples? Who takes that servant role? It's Jesus. For we're told there that Jesus then got up, he washed their feet, and then he said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Now, lest we think that this is a problem that James and John and the other disciples face, I want to remind you of John Stott's observation in his book, The Cross of Christ, that our world, and even the church, is full of Jameses and Johns, go-getters and status-seekers, hungry for honor and prestige, measuring life by achievements and everlastingly dreaming of success. And lest we think that this is a problem for others and not us, then I remind us of the words of C.S. Lewis who said, if you don't believe you are self-centered, then you are probably very self-centered. And to dramatize his point, Lewis challenges us to look at a set of family snapshots and then ask ourselves, Do we or do we not judge the quality of the picture by how we look? Yes, in our society, human greatness, or maybe self-importance is the better word, is often measured by how many people we have serving beneath us, by how many people have scored lower than us on an IQ test. Human greatness is often defined by how sexually provocative we are, by how effective we are at getting people to laugh or to feel good about themselves. Sometimes human greatness is defined by how much money we have in the bank or the kind of house that we have. Or it's defined by our public legacy or how often it is that we're able to get our own way or how it is that we live life on our terms. And when we live in such a society, a society that's dominated by self-interest and self-importance, and self-centeredness, is it really any wonder 
that we have people within our society ever trying to cancel the other person? Is it any wonder that we've got co-workers jealously sparring for, for job promotions in the workplace? Is it any wonder that family and friends are willing to throw away a good relationship because they insist on their own way? Is it any wonder that church members become indignant with one another and divisive squabbles break out? It's no wonder that someone said, wouldn't the world be a great place to live in if the power of love replaced some people's love of power? Let me repeat that. It's worth memorizing. Wouldn't the world be a great place to live in if the power of love replaced some people's love of power? Well, let's shift gears just for a moment. Can you think of a more supreme act of selfless servanthood than that which our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ demonstrates in his life? And I'm not referring to the basin and bowl or basin and towel episode. Jesus tells his disciples in our gospel reading for today, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later he will rise. And then Jesus adds these words at the conclusion of our text. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now let's consider these words for just a moment. The one speaking these words is none other than the Son of Man, who is none other than the eternal Son of God, who is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The one who speaks these words is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The one who speaks these words, it is said of him that the angels worship him. And it's this one who says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And how did he, the everlasting Son of God, say he would serve? I will give my life as a ransom for many. The Son of God will give his singular life for all. I mean, can you think of more glorious words in the whole Bible? Our Lord speaks of his sacrifice, of his death. Our Lord speaks of his punishment and condemnation for our sin. Our Lord speaks of his victory over the devil and death itself. Our Lord speaks of our liberty from the bondage of sin. Our Lord speaks of our emancipation over death and the devil. And in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus emerge as that suffering servant, our suffering servant, a role that he willingly bears even, even though at one point in the Garden of Gethsemane his soul is so overwhelmed to the point of death that he prays, if it's possible, Father, take this cup of suffering from me. But our servant, Jesus, embraces his suffering role, even though he will be betrayed and disowned by his own disciples, those whom he calls friends. He will go the way of the cross, even though he'll be struck on the head with a pole and he'll be spat upon in the face by the soldiers, even though he'll be mocked and jeered by the temple patrons, even though in his most dire 
need uh, is our dire hour. His father from eternity will forsake him. And why does our suffering servant embrace the role of a servant? Jesus answers that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. This servant's role and all the bitter pain and suffering that it entails is what Jesus speaks of when he talks of the cup I drink and the baptism that I'm baptized with. Do James and John really want to be at his left and at his right side as he hangs on that cross? That place of honor, quote-unquote honor, is reserved for two criminals, two thieves. No, if James and John knew the full implications of what they asked of Jesus on that day, I think they might think twice about asking it again. Only one life is required for our ransom from sin, death, and the devil. And St. Paul says to young Timothy, there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. According to Christ, both James and John will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Oh, they will not need to suffer and die for the sins of people. That's Jesus' job. But James and John will be struck on the head. They will be spat upon by those who oppose Christ. They will be mocked and jeered by many for their confession that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. John will be banished and imprisoned on the island of Patmos. His brother James will be arrested by King Herod Agrippa I. And with these brief and very simple words, James will fade from the pages of Scripture when it says, And he, James, the brother of John, was put to death by the sword. James drinks from Christ's cup of suffering. But James did so with that sure and certain hope that the Son of Man had given his life as a ransom for him. And although James did not pen these words, I'm sure that these words express James' final thoughts. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No. I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Dear friends in Christ, we too drink from Christ's cup of suffering. Well, we may not experience execution or banishment, I certainly hope not, but we suffer because we bear the name Christian. Our sinful flesh wages war against us daily, Satan never tries tempting us and accusing us of our sins so that he might draw us away from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And death is ever stalking us. The world, well, it taunts and it mocks and it jeers us because of the things that we believe about creation, about our Creator, about our Savior. And during such times, we may wonder, if the Lord is really pleased with us, 
or whether he is truly gracious toward us. But Martin Luther says, Christians should have no honor, no horror, Christians should have no horror of the cross, but should rather, as it is the truth, accept the cross as a sure sign that they are God's children and in the kingdom of Christ. We may not face the same fate as James and John, but as we experience suffering, we can have that same confidence and hope that James and John and St. Paul and countless other believers have. Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No. I'm convinced that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate me and you and all believers in Christ from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can have this sure, confident hope. Why? Because the Son of Man, the Son of God, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. It is this sure and certain hope in which we live that then we're able to live a life of servanthood, of service to our neighbor. We live day by day in various kinds of vocations and callings, whether that be as a friend or a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a son, or a daughter, a church member, whether that be owner or laborer, student or teacher, citizen or immigrant. We have many different callings in life. But whatever our vocations might be, we live to serve our neighbor. We live to serve others. We serve others by putting aside our own desires for self-importance and making the other person important to us. Our love for power is replaced with Christ's love for all people. And as we live lives of servanthood and service, we probably won't be nominated as one of the greatest Americans in a future poll. And as we live a life of servanthood, we probably will not be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom or the Congressional Gold Medal but it really doesn't matter, does it? Because in the eyes of the one who gave himself as a ransom for many, for you and for me, we are truly great. And that's really all that matters. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.